My family and I, we're thrilled to be here. Uh, it's so good to see familiar faces. You know, Chris and I started with the Denver campus from day one. How many years ago was that? And have loved this group and have us and enjoyed our association with it. So, and also today's a special day. It's first Bronco game. That's a big deal. But also it's my wife's birthday. So... Yeah, so, you know, as um, we get started, in, let's go ahead and, and, and pray first. And Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, glorifying you and thanking you. This is the day that you have made, and we'll rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, guide us and direct us, anoint this time together, guide and direct all that is said and done, and... Uh, Lord, we just ask you for your blessings during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was so honored and thrilled when Pastor Sean sent me a, um, a request, sent me a, a text and said, hey, can you teach? I'm going to be out of town. Can you teach on a Sunday? And I thought, wow, that would be great. I'd, I'd love to do it. Uh, and then I was thinking about um, how he has a lot of people that he could ask to teach. And I was wondering, well, I wonder if he went through his contact list. <laughs> Can you imagine his panic when he got to the S's? <laughs> He's running out of time. So uh, he was thankful that I said yes. And you know, there's always a danger in having a visiting uh, teacher. And so most knowledgeable or, or experienced pastors try to limit as much damage as possible when they have a visiting pastor. So not only did Pastor Sean give me the topic, but he also gave me the time limit. Now, does Pastor Sean really do his messages in 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, neither am I. So... so our topic today is how to study the Bible. I love to study the Bible. It's an appropriate topic for me, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. And as we get started, this is going to seem a little strange, but this is not a Bible, but it is an owner's manual to my 2012 Toyota Corolla. Now, you're about ready to witness something that has not been done in four years, I've never opened my owner's manual until this morning before we were getting here. This just came to me, and I thought, how cool would it be to, I think this is of God. So I was looking at the owner's manual and thinking about how people have called the Bible the owner's manual for Christians, right? So I was going through this, and, and it, I was thinking, I wonder why I'm looking at my owner's manual after not seeing it for four years. And I noticed some really cool stuff in here, uh, for example, how to... Put the key in the ignition. But, you know, how many of us, really, except for my son, the engineer, how many of you ever actually looked at the owner's manual in your car, right? It, Nate, absolutely, there you go. The engineer's amongst us. But we all learned to drive a car. Maybe we had some driver's ed. We watched our parents. For some people, it was trial and error to the detriment of the people around you. But we never really go to the owner's manual. And I notice they have things in here like how my airbag works. Now, I haven't needed that, but I thought, why would they put that in here? 
I mean, if you ever need your airbag, bang! You know, and Crystal look at what just happened? I said, oh, give me the owner's manual. <laughs> right? You know, as my glasses are plastered to my face forever. But there's a lot of things in here, and they even have a section, which I found this very interesting. And I highlighted it this morning. It says, when trouble arises. Now, when would be a good time to have read that section? Before trouble arises. Okay? Stay with me, will you? It starts slow, but it'll pick up, I promise. If we think of the Bible as our owner's manual, there's a lot of good stuff in here about how we are to live as Christians. The car owner's manual tells us a lot about the car. I mean, there's even a schematic in there on my electrical system, which I will never read. But there isn't anything that is not of value in the Bible. And wouldn't it be nice if we actually read it before trouble arises? So let's talk about studying the Bible. And if it doesn't mess up the sound guy, I am going to move down. I know I'm short, but the light is right in my eyes, and I cannot see all of you. And now some of you probably can't see me. But here, we'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> Pastor Sean, it's going very, very smoothly when you hear this message, really. <laughs> you know, if you read the Bible at all, you are an incredible minority. People just don't read the Bible. Bible literacy in America is just pathetically low, even amongst Christians. And if you study the Bible, that's even rarer yet. To really dig in and to know the things of God is such a rare thing. There's a, um, a gentleman named George Barna who does surveys on Christians and their attitudes, their beliefs. And he did a survey, and he was trying to put Christians in categories. And he would ask them questions about their Christian beliefs, and do they read the Bible, and how did they become Christians, and all those types of things. And he actually had to come up with a brand new category called notional Christians. Notional Christians. And what that meant is after doing the survey, a tremendous number of Christians had no notion what it meant to be a Christian. Their answers to why are you a Christian are, I was born in America, my parents baptized me as a baby, we went to Chris, uh, church one Christmas, an Easter once in a while, but they just don't know what it really is to be a Christian. So I understand a few weeks ago that Pastor Joel was here to teach on why we should read the Bible. Well, I was thinking that's sort of strange that Pastor Sean would give the highly trained uh, professional pastor the easy one. Because anybody can tell you why you should do something, right? I mean, it happens every day. Tells you, you know, why you should stop smoking, why you should lose weight, exercise, why you should be at work on time. Anybody can tell you why to do stuff. And oftentimes they are when they go to meddling. But the hard thing is to tell people how to do something and expect them to do it. 
So, you know, it's, it's a Broncos Sunday, and, and I know it's hard to believe, but years ago I played football. I did. With this body. And I can remember one uh, year, you know, you go to the awards banquet, and I had not been on the field too much, but, you know, the coaches always have to come up with something nice to say about every kid that's on the team, right? And I know my coach must have labored for days trying to come up with something. And he looks out into the audience and says, hey, Scott may be small, but he's weak. Quick! He's quick. (laughs) So thus ended my career. So I became a runner. And I often have people come up to me when we talk about running and say, oh, man, I would love to be a runner. But then I tell them what it takes to be a runner. And they said, well, will you run with me sometime? I said, sure. I'll see you at 4.30 at Wash Park. They go, well, I don't get off work until 5. I go, no, no, I mean the other 4.30. They never show up. So telling somebody how to do something is no assurance that they're actually going to do it. A real-life example, and this goes back years, actually, I think just before Chris and I were married, uh, I was playing in a flag football league. And at the end of the game, I literally destroyed my left knee, and I had a four-speed car. So I hobble over to the car, and I try to hand Chris the keys. And she says, what? I said, you got to drive home. This leg is never going to function. She says, I don't know how to drive a stick shift. And I said, I'll tell you how. That didn't work. (laughs) So the why was my left leg was not going to be able to work the clutch. But that doesn't mean anything, and in this case, it didn't help to tell her how to do it. Now, ironically, after we got married, I did teach her how to drive a stick shift car. And let me tell you, if your marriage can survive teaching your wife to drive a stick, it'll survive anything. (laughs) So So how to read and study the Bible. We're going to talk about both spiritual aspects of studying the Bible and some practical aspects. I'm going to give you some tools that might help. And then we'll look at, uh, number three, some approaches to studying the Bible. Now, in this group, I know that Pastor Sean has a tremendous group of Bereans. So a lot of this might be, you know, review. Very little it's probably going to be profound or new to you. But um, as a visiting pastor, a teacher, I would appreciate if you didn't nod off. It's very, very rude. So we're going to look at a number of musts. Must, M-U-S-T-S, even if I can't pronounce it. It's the things we have to have. And number one is foundational, and it's indispensable. You cannot study the Bible without this. And that is you must be led by the Holy Spirit. You must be Spirit-filled. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Then in 2 Timothy 14, it says, All scripture is God-breathed. So all scripture is inspired by God. So if the word of God is inspired by God, then as we read and study it, we have to be inspired by God. Now, being spirit-filled is beyond the topic today or this study, but we know that it's a gift from God. 
We know that it often happens at the time of conversion or salvation. The Bible teaches that it has happened after salvation at another time, perhaps with laying on of hands. But um, Pastor Sean, perhaps that would be a good Bible study for you in the near future. So, but there's good leadership here. There's good teaching. So if you have any questions about being spirit-filled, uh, I'm sure that Pastor Sean and leadership can help you with that. But that's foundational. Must be spirit-filled. Number two, it's pretty basic, but we want to read regularly or consistently. Nothing that you ever want to achieve is going to be done if you're not consistent, if you're not regular, if you haven't made a habit of it, if it's not a priority in your life. So reading the Bible daily would be ideal if you just set up a specific time, a specific place, you're able to eliminate distractions. Now that's really a challenge if you're in a family. I know that uh, we set up a specific place in our home that uh, when it's time for Bible study and prayer, we're not to be disturbed unless something's really, really important. And, uh, you know, we have a new grandson, so I know that's probably a challenge for Nate and Tambra to have an 18-month-old respect your quiet time. But if you can find a time when there's no distractions and you can just focus on God, but do it regularly and consistently. And the question is, do we really want to know God? You've heard the phrase, and I love it, it's the proof of desire is pursuit. And it reminds me of this story where somewhere in the Far East there was a wise man, and people would come to him to seek his knowledge. And a young man came to him in the mountains of Tibet or wherever it was and said, oh, wise man, I want your knowledge. I really want it bad. And they were standing next to a lake, and the wise man took the young man and says, come into the lake with me. And as they went into the lake, the wise man grabbed him and thrust the young man under the water and held him there just until he was going to drown. And he finally let him up. And the young man comes up and grabs that breath of air. And he looks and says, why did you do that? He says, when you want my wisdom as badly as you wanted that breath of air, come and see me. Proof of desire is pursuit. How badly do we really want to know God's word and thus know him. We got to make a priority, make it a habit. Number three is read repeatedly or with repetition. Nothing drives me crazy more than someone to say, I read the Bible once and then act like they're an expert on it. How many people you know that have read the Bible once or very little and then misquote it? They can throw out any scripture and, you know, build a doctrine on it and judge you as a Christian because they've read it once. So it's something that we need to read over and over again. You know, I'm a little bit slow, and I have learned that repetition is the key to my learning. I have to read it over and over again. And whether it's a, a young Christian or a Ph.D. in theology, I've never spoken with anyone that didn't learn something new every single time they read the Bible. Years ago, I had a pastor, and he was a Ph.D., and he read the Bible constantly. He went through the, uh, the whole Bible every single year. I can remember we were in this discussion, and we were talking about kind of unusual things in the Bible, and I happened to mention that, wow, isn't it amazing? God was actually able to use hornets, you know, to move the people out of the way of the Israelites. And he looked at me and says, hornets? 
And isn't that amazing? He had read the book, you know, the Bible 20 times and never have caught that the God used hornets to drive out the people before the Israelites. So read it repeatedly. You can't just read it once. And there's no rush. Take your time to go through it. It's not like you're on a tour bus going through Denver and the guy's trying to tell you all the sights as you go by. Just take your time and go through it. Number four, read the Bible, what I refer to as holistically, meaning get the big picture. That's a really good reason if you've never read straight through the Bible is to read from Genesis through Revelation. Because I can tell you for certainty that you will have a greater understanding and appreciation for the New Testament if you've read the Old Testament. I meant to look it up, and maybe someone here is a Bible scholar, but I think Jesus quotes the Old Testament a couple hundred times in the New Testament. So you'll know what he's referring to if you've actually read the Old Testament. So we need to get the big picture. There's a reason that there are 66 books in the Bible. And if you leave out a few of them, it's like doing a puzzle and leaving out pieces of the puzzle. So read all 66 books of the Bible, and it'll make things a lot easier and a lot clearer, and you'll get the big picture. Number five, I call this read systematically and not haphazardly. Now, there are always going to be times when you just want to sit down and maybe pull out the Psalms or pull out Proverbs or your favorite book in the Bible and just read. It's comforting or there's uh, verses that are more inspirational than others. But I still would encourage you to have a plan. You know, Calvary chapels, they have a plan, right? It's book by book, verse by verse, so that we get the whole counsel of God. So as you read the Bible... Create your own plan. I mentioned reading straight through from Genesis to Revelation. Maybe you'll have a goal for a particular number of chapters or verses or whatever it is. Sometimes people like to read a little bit in the old and read a little bit in the new on a daily basis. You get a little bit of both. A method I like to use is a little bit in the old, a little bit in the new, and parts of Psalms and Proverbs. It's really cool, I think. You know, God set up Proverbs so you can get through it once every month if you just read one chapter and read those, the Psalms also. Chronologically would be a way to read the Bible. Now, I just bought a brand new Bible this year because somebody had recommended it to me. I never thought about reading chronologically, meaning read the books in the order that they were actually written as opposed to how they're composed in our, in our current Bible. So this year I've been reading the chronological Bible, and it's, and it's kind of neat when you're going through a book and all of a sudden now you're reading Psalms and then you're back into one of the books. But it's just good, and it adds a historical perspective as you're reading it. But regardless of how you want to do it, have a plan. You know, I, uh, I'm a runner and everything. I weave running into all of my discussions and, and that type of thing, and and uh, matter of fact, I was watching a video this morning that a friend had sent me, and it was about training. And um, the one thing I have learned over the years is it's really a hard thing to be in the middle of a race, you know, and realize, man, I wonder if I put in enough long-distance runs. I, never, I wonder if I did enough speed work. Now, I wonder if I rested enough, all those things. But when I get ready for a race... I have a 12 or 16-week six week program depending on the distance. And every single day is laid out. 
how far I'm going to run, how fast I'm going to run. And that way, when I get to the end, I know that I'm prepared for that particular race. So if I'm going to be that fanatical about running, I'm also that fanatical about my Bible study, and I lay it out. Now, there are times that, you know, there's interruptions and uh, that sort of thing, and I don't want it to make it sound like this is a labor, but in some rate, uh, ways it is, but maybe it should become a labor of love, and that you really enjoy doing it. And although you've set up a plan, there can be deviations, but as much as you can, stick to the plan, because there are going to be times you don't feel like reading the Bible. Is there anybody here that's ever not felt like reading the Bible? I'm the only one. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Pastor Sean, they did raise their hands, so you don't have to worry about lying in your church. But there are times I don't feel like running. Well, that's every morning, actually. But because I have a goal, I get up and I go run. And there are going to be times you're not going to feel like reading the Bible. You're not going to feel like praying. You're doing your devotions, whatever it is. But do it anyway. Because hardly anybody I've ever talked to says, wow, that was a waste of time when I read the Bible. Number six. I just couldn't decide on a title for this one, so I gave it three titles. Read intentionally, or read specifically, or read topically. Read intentionally, read specifically, or read topically. This is part of study. This is, once again, having a goal or a purpose for your reading. It's so important because, as I mentioned earlier, our Bible literacy is so low. I don't know how many of you like to read history, but I like to read American history. And it's amazing when you read the importance of the Bible to the lives of our founding fathers. Their Bible, their Bible literacy was astounding. I mean, you, when you read uh, uh, biographies of Lincoln, he was always quoting Scripture, even in all of his messages and his speeches and t when he's talking to people. But we don't have much Bible literacy now, and that's why I encourage people to read specifically or intentionally or topically because we need to understand the specifics, the doctrines of our Christian faith. We need to understand original sin and creation, salvation, saved by grace, mercy, all of those things. Paul commanded Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2 to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Well, how are you going to be ready if we're not studying the word of God? You know, it's Bronco Sunday. And you hardly ever hear a story about Peyton Manning without hearing about the incredible preparation that he goes through for a football game. The hours of study that he goes in, not only of his playbook, but the defense that he's going to face. So if he'll do that for a football game, how much more should we be doing that for our Christian faith? So we need to know what we believe, and we need to know why we believe it. Matter of fact, there are two books out there I recommend by an author named Paul E. Little. And he has, the first book is Know What You Believe, and his second book is Know Why You Believe. And they're foundational, and they're very helpful. So when you're studying the Bible, pick a topic and just exhaust all of the verses on that topic. Because we know that there's no better interpreter of the Bible than the Bible. So read all of the verses on a particular type, 
topic in the Bible. And we'll talk about tools here in just a bit because they can be very helpful. But the most important tool is the Bible. Let's talk about some things you should do now along with reading and studying. And these are actually things that will help you in your study. I wrote down four things that we should all be doing with regards to our Bible study. Number one, we should be memorizing Scripture. Man, sometimes that's so hard. But I hardly ever don't have... That's really good English. I almost always have with me a 3 by 5 card, either in my desk drawer at work, in my study area at home. I'm always trying to pick up a new verse to, to memorize. And it aggravates me so badly when somebody throws out a verse and I don't know the address. I mean, it sounds familiar, right? You've read the Bible, you know. Oh boy, I know that's in the New Testament, uh, but you don't know where. So reading is fine, but memorizing is terrific. Psalms 119.11 says, Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have to hide God's word in our heart, heart, and that comes from memorization. Secondly, meditation. Now, I'm not talking about some Far Eastern type of meditation. I'm talking about thinking about God's word. I think I once heard a pastor talk about the actual Greek word as almost like the description of a cow chewing its cud. So we can chew on the word over and over again. It reminds me years ago, I'm, a, I'm in sales. And sales, you know, we react. We, we do things quickly. And I was uh, on a team that was helping put together a new uh, software system for my company. And I was the representative from sales, and we were working with a large consulting firm out of Chicago called Anderson Consulting. And a guy named Jeff was leading this uh, particular exercise, and it was going to take two years to actually create a software program. And so I remember being up on the, his floor where he had all of his people that write software, whatever you call that. And they had these low cubicles so I could see all the people out there. And they're staring into space and some were reading and some were eating and they're just doing nothing. And I looked at Jeff and said, Jeff, no one of this project is going to take two years. These people aren't doing anything. He said, Scott, they're thinking. I said, we don't do that in sales. <laughs> There's no time to think. We've got to react. But, you know, when it comes to Bible study, we need to think about it. Psalms 119.48, I will meditate on your word. I will meditate on your word. Number three, probably the least exciting one is we need to apply God's word to our lives. We need to apply God's word to our lives. Deuteronomy 30, 14. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. That you may do it. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So I once heard, if you read something, you're now responsible for it. So I don't want to discourage you from reading the Bible, but just know that if you're aware of it, God's going to expect you to be responsible for it. But we need to apply God's word to our lives. What time did I start?
Okay. Somebody's going to have to give me the 5 or the 10. I have no idea. I'll get you out before the Bronco game starts at 4 o'clock. <laughs> Number four. I would encourage you to read different versions of the Bible. I think it helps with clarity and perspective. I actually have a parallel Bible with eight different versions in it. Some are kind of weird and seem a little bit out there. Um, but it can help. You know, I know some churches believe that the King James is the only one. Uh, I read and I study from the New King James. Uh, but it helps to have various perspectives by reading different versions of the Bible to help your, your study. I do caution you, though, on using the Amplified Version. Now, I once was in a Sunday school class as an adult where the instructor taught from the Amplified, amplified Bible. But he would actually latch on to a synonym, a word that was never actually like in the original Greek or Hebrew and make a whole doctrine off of it. So it was a little bit challenging. Plus, you know, those, when you use the Amplified Version, it took them four minutes to read every verse. So it just takes so long. But be very cautious with the Amplified Version. It can be helpful, but don't build a, a uh, doctrine on it. Excuse me. Now we're going to talk about a few tools that will help us in our study. I mentioned before that the most important tool is the Bible. Nothing interprets the Bible better than the Bible. But there are tools that can be very, very helpful. You know, my father's an engineer, and he can do anything around the house. When something happens in my house, I call somebody. I, I don't know how to do anything around the house, um, but my father could do anything. So when he lived in Florida, he would come out to visit me, and he would discover something in my house that needed to be worked on. So we'd run over to Home Depot, and we'd buy that tool to do that particular job. And he'd come out every single year, and, and now my garage looks like Home Depot. And other than my father using them once, I have very, very shiny tools, and it looks great, but I don't know how to use them. So, but if you have the appropriate tools and you use them wisely with Bible study, they can be very helpful. But one caution about tools. Other than the Bible, the tools that we use, they are not inspired of God. They may have been written by very wise people, very educated people. But as you all know, as mature Christians, there are a lot of different opinions and views on Bible verses and Bible doctrine. So it's good to use tools, but be very cautious and realize that they are written by men and they're not inspired by God. I mentioned one earlier, I think, the chain reference Bible is very helpful. That's the way you can exhaust a topic. You can uh, pick out a verse, and right to the left, it lists the, uh, the next verse. And you can actually follow that word or that theme or that thought through the whole Bible and get the entire counsel of God on that particular topic. So a chain reference Bible is very, very helpful. I mentioned the parallel uh, Bible for different versions. The interlinear uh, version is very helpful. That has the Greek and the Hebrew along with the English, and now you can see why there are challenges interpreting the Bible, because you can't interpret English directly to Greek and Hebrew. It doesn't make any sense. And it actually shows you that in an interlinear Bible, but it's great for study to go back to the original words. 
A Bible dictionary. Very, very helpful. It goes way beyond just defining words. They almost always have commentaries and and, uh, write-ups on various topics about that word that are very, very helpful. I find the Bible dictionary uh, indispensable when studying. Commentaries. This is where I really wanted to offer that caution. I have lots of commentaries. And those commentaries are all written by very, very strong Christians, well-educated Christians. But it's amazing when you can put them side by side, the, the variance or the, uh, how they view their things differently. So you just got to be cautious, but it can help greatly in um, understanding when you're reading the Bible. This one's almost obsolete. How many people have a Strong's Concordance in their house? Mine's actually holding up the foundation. I'm just kidding. It's so large. It's so huge. But you can, with a concordance, you can look up any word in the Bible and it'll give you every single uh, verse in that word. Now, the reason I say it's obsolete is now we have websites. You don't need, I mean, to have your neighbors help you bring in a Strong's concordance and put it on your desk. You can just go to Blue Letter Bible, and they have a concordance. And that was my next one is the websites. Wow, the websites are great. I particularly use uh, Blue Letter Bible because it has the com- all the commentaries and has the uh, verse lookup, you know, and sometimes I feel lazy, but as once again, I know that verse, but I don't know where it is. You type in one or two words, and it gives you all the verses. It's so cool, and it's so quick. But it has the dictionaries in there. It has the Bible helps. It has everything you need to study the Bible. So if you haven't downloaded it yet, get Blue Letter Bible on your computer. Another area that is very helpful are books that address difficulties. For example, I have four that I have found very helpful. I have a thousand and one Bible questions answered. A thousand and one Bible questions answered. A second one would be when critics ask. This is really important because how many of us have gotten into discussions with people that we're witnessing to and they throw you a question and you don't know? Now, it's not like I carry this book around. But almost anybody that would be in a a discussion with you uh, about the Bible, about salvation, about Christianity, would be more than willing to come back and discuss it with you again. And there have been times I've had to say, I really don't know, and then run off and study that and try to hook up with them again. But books like When Critics Ask address very specific questions that they could come up with that you may not have an answer to, and it will direct you to those Bible verses. The big book of Bible difficulties. It's very much like the previous two, but it's very helpful. And then also hard sayings of the Bible. So I use these frequently when I'm studying a particular topic and really want to dig deep and understand things that are not easily understood. And then the last thing I'll throw out, and I think you can get this online too, but I'm old school. I love paper and book. I mean, have any of you ever actually seen paper notes before? I don't know. You young people, why don't you have an iPad up there? Um, but I have a systematic theology. It's four volumes and 3,000 pages. But it's really cool to go through and you pick a topic and it, 
is indispensable when you want to discuss grace, salvation, the Trinity, the divinity of Christ, creation, any of those things are just thoroughly covered in a systematic theology. And they're, uh, I find it enjoyable to go through, and sometimes that's what causes me. We have a Thursday night group ourselves, and uh, the way we work our Thursday night group is we take the Sunday message then we expound on it on Thursday evening with our group. And everybody is supposed to have taken notes and we have lively discussion. But my job is to expound on the notes. And uh, oftentimes I'll go to the systematic theology going, wow, I really want to give them something profound that Pastor Ed didn't give them on Sunday. And the next thing I know, I'm chasing rabbits. I mean, it can just lead you to all these other things. And my group always knows when I've been in the systematic theology and... Uh, because it's just so deep. Just a couple more things. And seriously, when do I need to wrap up? I don't know when I started. Nate, give me a time to finish. Fifteen minutes, okay. I don't want to overstay my welcome. How to read the Bible. We must read it in context. This is where cults go astray. They're always taking Bible verses out of context. That's why you can't build a doctrine on one verse or even one book in the Bible. That's why, remember, I talked about holistically reading the Bible. It ties back to reading from Genesis through Revelation so that we don't get hung up just on one verse. Because, for example, if you just read James, if you just had a cursory Reading of James, you could think you had to do a lot of work for salvation if you didn't study, right? But if you read all of the New Testament and really study James, you'd understand that we're saved by grace alone. Number two, we have to read in faith. And this is where I really get hung up with on today's um, Bible schools. I mean, we have the Eilif School of Theology here. They're the group that had that whole Jesus thing and they decided that 80% of what Jesus said, he never really said at all. That's really scary. They are teaching theologians. So we have to read in faith because if you don't read in faith, you're also going to throw out miracles. Well, if God didn't perform miracles then and we don't believe in those, why would we believe in miracles today? And every day we pray for miracles. So read the Bible in faith. We have to believe it's inspired of God and that it's true. We have to take the Bible literally. Now everybody says that. And you know, that's when the, you know, a non-believer will throw out something kind of weird like some verse that you know, we can't take that literally. But we do take the Bible literally. But we take it also as literature. We understand that the Bible has every style of literature any other type of writing would have. For example, there's poetry. You know, Psalms is poetry. Ecclesiastes has poetry. There's hyperbole. Hyperbole is an exaggeration for effect. You know, I was just out down in Phoenix a couple weeks ago and I actually uh, run with a team. I'm the only one in Colorado. The entire rest of the team is in Phoenix. So I went down for a weekend, and we ran together on Saturday and Sunday. Those people are insane. It was like a million degrees. Do you get my point? Well, it was almost a million degrees, actually. 
We started running in the morning. It was over 90 degrees, and they're having their monsoon season. It was brutally hot. But a million degrees, you wouldn't take that literally, but you would get the point that it was really hot in Phoenix to be running. So there's hyperbole and exaggeration for effect. There's metaphor. These are figures of speech to suggest a likeness or an analogy between things. For example, um, Jesus says, I'm the door. Well, Jesus is not literally a door, but he is the door to the kingdom. So there's metaphor. There are allegories. An allegory is a story or poem that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral one. Now, this is another challenge for cults and for people that read hidden meanings into the Bible. There are books written specifically on the hidden meanings in the Bible that the rest of us aren't smart enough to get with the help of the Holy Spirit. So be careful about allegories. Similar to allegories are parables. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Now, Jesus told a lot of parables, and they didn't understand the parables, but he quoted Old Testament saying, I'm going to speak to them in parables, because seeing they won't see and hearing they won't hear. And he was really putting it on them, but then he would explain the parables to the disciples because they got to understand them. And my final note here is on journaling. Now, we have a dear friend that actually has a ministry called the Ezra Project, and he has had a 12 or 13 year ministry doing nothing other than traveling the country and the world, encouraging people to, Christians, to read their Bibles. Why? Because people don't read their Bibles even in the church. But one of the things that he strongly, Alan strongly encourages is journaling. I mean, he has his journals back for like 25 years because as he reads the Bible, he journals and he writes down what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what that verse may have th uh, meant to him, even things that are going on in his life. But it helps him get his thoughts straight. It helps him get in touch with the feelings about particular verses based on what's going on in his life. And it helps him, as we talked about earlier, applying that verse to his life. Because he reads the verses, how does that apply to me? Lord, you gave me that verse, how can I use that? So journaling may be helpful to you. And finally, we should never, ever read the Bible without prayer. Go into prayer. Calm your mind. Pray to God. Pray to the Holy Spirit that he'll reveal the riches that are in his word for you that particular morning. So let's close. I chased a lot of rabbits getting ready for this message. Of course, part of that was I misread Pastor Sean's email and I was actually ready a month ago, August 13th. And I sent something to him. I said, what time does that service start? And he says, well, in a month, it'll start at 10 a.m. Oh, okay. So that would have been embarrassing. But it gave me a month to do further work on the message. So I had all this great theological and scholarly stuff that I was going to, but I thought maybe 14 pages of notes would be enough. So we've discussed a few weeks ago why we should read the Bible, and I'm sure Pastor Joel did a magnificent job of that. Now we've talked about how to study the Bible. And what it really comes down to 
is we have spiritual reasons to read the Bible. We have practical reasons to read the Bible. We talked about goals that we can set. But it really comes down to how badly do you want that next breath of air? How badly do you want to know God? And there's really only one way to know God, and that's through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the inspiration that is in your word. We thank you for all the incredible blessings and promises, the wisdom, the knowledge, the comfort that is in your word. And Lord, I pray right now that each one of us will settle in our hearts that, Lord, we want to know you better through your word. Give us the encouragement and the strength of the Holy Spirit to set aside a time and a place and a plan to study your word that we might know you better. Because, Lord, we want to be ready in season and out of season. We want to be used by you. And in order for that to happen, we must be prepared. We must be spirit-filled, and we must know your word, and we must, know how the, how, we must have the courage to share that word with others. And Lord, right now, if there is anyone in this room that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, just in their own hearts, dear God, I'm going to ask them to, that you would deal with them. Lord, right now, the power of your Holy Spirit, convict them of their sin and let them know that they need a Savior. And Lord, right now, I'd ask that they just say this simple prayer that, Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. And I know that I've heard the word spoken and I've read enough to know that I need you as my Lord and Savior. And I forsake my sin, I confess it to you, and I accept you now as what I need in my life, what I need for my salvation, what I need to spend eternity with you and what I need to serve you going forward. Thank you, dear God, in Jesus' name. Amen.